So last question from myself and Sofia, so we can go to the other questions from our audience. Many people in our audience work in startups or small businesses. Since we asked about big businesses, we asked now about smaller business. Can you give them some practical tips on how to get started in the journey of building strong brand, a strong brand and a culture? Yes. The first thing is clarity, you know, so you need to make sure you are very clear about what you want your brand to stand for and the kind of culture that you need to cultivate in order to deliver on that brand. And you can't assume that, oh, you know, since you know it intuitively, that's enough. I, I encourage, strongly encourage you to write it down, write down what your brand identity is, what you what your competitive positioning for your brand is. What are those brand values and attributes that you are setting into place and you want your brand to become known for? Write those down. And the same thing for your culture, write down your, your purpose and your core values and make sure that you are explaining what behaviors are tied to those those values what what not only how you want people to think but then what you want that to look like in their day-to-day -day actions and and you know and then once you have those clearly articulated and written down then number one you as a leader need to be using those at all times all your decision making needs to flow through that filter of brand and culture but then two you need to be talking about it and ensuring that everyone in your organization even your partners and that's an important point you know you can't assume that you and your partners are on the same page write it down and make sure that you all have a shared understanding of what you want your brand to stand for and the kind of culture you're cultivating and then over time you communicate it to more and more of your employees and make sure that everybody understands their role in in cultivating this culture and building this kind of brand that you want one of, one of my favorite uh, channels that i'm listening to is how i built this i and love that show yeah how, how i built this and one of the co-founders i don't remember which company was that was make mother proud <laughs> one of the mothers was in the business helping them either cooking or helping them in any other way. So make mother proud. So as soon as I heard this value, I said, wow, this is an amazing value to make our mothers proud. So it, it instills all the values together. And that's exactly <laughs> what you're saying. Always I go back that. to that principle. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, Sophia, can we open the floor? Can you hear me now? No. Um, give me give me a second, please. Okay, I'm back. I'm sorry. Okay, we we've been having um, sound problems today. I'm really sorry. And uh, unfortunately, there was an echo in the first part of the interview. So if you don't mind, uh, can we go over the first two questions again so that people uh, listen to them? I said in your writings, in your books, in your interviews, you maintain that employee experience is crucial to getting the customer experience right. Why is that? Yeah, so I talked about how employees will only deliver to customers the experiences that they have themselves. 
So you need to make sure that the kind of customer experience you want to deliver is the kind of employee experience that you deliver to your employees so that employees understand how important that experience is, how it makes them feel, and then they're motivated to, to then create that kind of experience for customers. Without that linkage, your employees are going to either make stuff up or they're, they're not going to deliver on your desired customer experience. So uh, I read a book once which says employees come first, customers come second. And most probably because if employees come first, our customers will also enjoy the ride and have a great experience. It's the way we treat them, right? Sure, sure. Although I will say, Michael, that you know, when you're when you're dealing with your customer, or when, when you're dealing with your employees, when you're trying to cultivate this culture and equip and empower your employees, you need to have your customers in mind. You know, it's not enough to have a warm, friendly, nice culture if you're not equipping your employees to actually deliver a great customer experience. So, you know, the two really are very much interrelated and mutually reinforcing. Okay, great, great reply. So it makes total sense that we fuse blend together, as you say in your book, Fusion, culture and customer experience. Can you give us an example and explain which company is that from the example you're going to be giving, uh, just in case our uh, audience doesn't know the company? Can you give us an example of a company that blends, that fuses uh, culture and customer experience? Yeah, so I wanted to talk about Salesforce, which is a global B2B company. They are a cloud-based software application company that helps helps businesses manage and develop their customer relationships. So everything from bringing the customer in through like the funnel, you know, um, to managing the day-to-day -day customer relationship, to ensuring that your customers are in, um, are experiencing the kind of success and, and reaching the goals that they want. So it's a it's a business application software. Um, company and I'm not doing a very good job of explaining it, but yeah, the most important thing to know is that they are, you know, a large global enterprise with a very vital, healthy, effective company culture and their culture is grounded in this idea of ohana which is a term from the Hawaiian culture, which means family. So within the organization at Salesforce, they really tried to create this sense of ohana, this feeling that you are a part of a family and some of their family values include things like trust and diversity and equality. And so they really orient their employees towards those values, and then those employees deliver those values to customers. So one way that you can see that in action is through Dreamforce, which is Salesforce's global annual customer conference. It's held here in San Francisco. I wanna say like it's like 150,000 people come to this convention. So it's a huge conference. And so they're, they're definitely you know, giving technical talks and explaining their technology and spotlighting customers Customer successes, but they're also giving presentations and, and um, having speakers talk about social issues like diversity, um, like inclusion, like social justice. Um, they're talking about healthcare and um, well-being, and so they're really creating an, uh, an environment where you, as a customer, are learning about all these different values that the company has and really getting to participate in it as well. So there's there's really no separation between what the company, how the company operates on the inside and the kind of customer experience they're delivering on the outside. 
Excellent. It's like a human being. You need to be a holistic person, a holistic company, looking at everything. And if I'm not mistaken, I, have, I, I believe I've seen you on YouTube speaking at Salesforce. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. I'm a little bit biased, but I think, Michael, that's a great analogy about the holistic human being. You know, we value people who have integrity, who are on the inside what they say they are on the outside. Your customers are the same way. They are going to want you to be what you say you are. And so that's why it's so important to fuse your brand and your culture. And that's why we invited you, Denise, because I've been looking at your work for many years and what you write down, what you express with your keynotes, that's what, who I felt you are. And that's the main reason we invited you. Oh, I'm so you. glad to hear that. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So, Sophia. Yes, it was. Um, I have a question from Richard Pedinger, and he's asking, what are the key changes that you have observed since the lockdown in relation to leadership expertise? That, let me say that Richard Pedinger is the head of the business school at UCL, University College London, one of the most well-known universities <laughs> around the globe, a personal friend, and somebody who will sooner or later invite you to speak at UCL. Oh no, I better get this answer right. I'm going to the question, Sophia, once more, just to be sure. Yes, of course. Um, what are the key changes that you have observed since the lockdown in relation to leadership expertise? Yeah, so a, a couple of things come to mind. Number one is communication. I think the, the expectation for leaders to communicate clearly, frequently, um, personally, consistently, that has elevated tremendously because employees really need to know what's going on. And with so much uncertainty out there, I think a lot of leaders are a little hesitant to communicate sometimes. You know, they're not sure what's going on, so they don't want to go out and say something. But your employees need to hear from you. They need to, to hear from you hear what you're working on, how you're processing things, what you're planning on doing, what you what the future vision that you see, and really you cultivate a lot of hope and optimism through your communication. So communication is number one. And number two is something that we talked about just a, a moment ago, and that is that because many of your employees may be working remotely, you know, they're not coming into the office where they are experiencing the culture and being able to engage with other employees the way they used to. So you need to actively cultivate employee connections, connections to you as leaders through communication, um, employee connections to your brand so that you remind, consistently remind your employees why you're in business, why you exist, the value you're creating for your customers. Um, you need to create connections between your employees and your customers. Make sure that your, your employees really understand what your customers want and need right now and, and understand that those things have really changed because of the pandemic. And then cultivate employees' connections to each other. You know, again, they might not be seeing each other in person. So how do you create those kind of social bonds that used to exist in an, an office? You know, maybe it's like uh, you have, if you use Slack, the, the internal communications program, you have some uh, uh, for, uh, informal Slack channels where people can relate to each other, or you have uh, designated social happy hours, or, you know, whatever the case may be, but you have to make sure that employees are feeling all these connections so that they remain engaged and motivated and focused. Excellent reply. Excellent. Thank you. Yes, we have one more question, and it comes from Michael Georgiou. 
from Facebook, different levels of hierarchy at the company will act differently. How do you suggest or make sure that hierarchies are consistent at all levels in the company? in business because of the pandemic is that there's a flattening of the organizations where there's less hierarchy and maybe the removal of certain layers because the frontline employees need to get the information that they need to serve customers as quickly as possible, as clearly as possible. And so sometimes being able to kind of remove some of those layers of hierarchy is really critical for the agility of your organization. So I would say in general, you might want to be rethinking hierarchy but then I, I would say overall, whatever hierarchy you have, I think your communications plan needs to be targeted each level of the hierarchy. You know, there's certain, as I said, all employees need communication, but there's certain communication and certain types of communication they're going to give to certain levels. And the middle managers of your organization are often the ones who are kind of left out of that communications plan. You know, usually the, the top leaders of the organization will speak to the frontline employees and kind of, you know, skip these middle layers of management, whereas those employees really have the closest relationships with their, their immediate managers or their skip level managers. And so it's important that those middle level managers feel equipped with the right information. Um, they feel empowered to communicate and to deliver direction and to express expectations that represent what the leadership is, expect, uh, is um, you know, expecting for the entire company. So the top leaders of the organization need to make sure that that middle, middle layer of management is engaged and is informed and knows their responsibility for their employees. And if I could add something to this, this great yes. I would say that one of our guests, uh, Bob, has talked about disobedient leadership, and uh, that's where you should apply disobedient leadership in the way that Bob describes it in his book, in his programs and everything. And something else that Denise said earlier, the glue is values. If you have values, you know which decisions you need to take across the board. Yes, make values clear, make sure everyone knows them and knows that they're expected to be interpreting and reinforcing them and everything that they do. And then you are a family, as you said it before, before in the family, in the Ohana, what is it? Ohana? Ohana, uh-huh. Ohana, yes. Right. yes, yes. Yeah, just, yes, you're trying to instill values in your children. As a leader, you need to instill values in your employees. So again, it's not enough just to say this is what we believe. You need to role model them, and then you need to help your employees understand what it looks like to align their behaviors with those values. Great, great. Sophia, are we... I think since we had technical problems, we can allow one more question and then we go to the giveaway. Okay. Um, so how do you ensure that communication does not turn into micromanagement? From George Fictos. <laughs> George Fictos is a great negotiator. He has negotiated over 1 billion US dollars working for his global company. And he's now based in Cyprus and he's a great friend. Oh, so it sounds like, George, you might need to chime in and tell everyone else your, your secrets to manage. Um, I would say that, you know, there's a difference between expressing 
uh, what is expected, like what are the goals, what are the new success measure measures, you know, what are you, what are, what do you want your company to stand for, what you want your customer experience to be like. There's just there's just a difference between that and then saying, okay, so now I want you to do X, Y, Z. You know, I think that if you empower your employees with the right information, um, aligning them with the values and then equipping them with the resources and tools that they need to do their jobs, then you need to get out of the way. You know, as long as they know what goal you have and they know what's kind of expected of them, then I think they are in the, your employees are in the best position to determine what is the right course of action in their day-to-day -day actions. Correct. Very good reply. Sophia, any more? Um, we have, can we allow one, one more? Or shall we go? <laughs> and, it, and you know, the question is from your wife, so we should answer it. <laughs> Christine Virardi. <laughs> okay, so with regards to employer branding, uh, many companies are now uh, shifting uh, to work from home. Can you give us some um, explanation, uh, some uh, tips on uh, how this shifting is, uh, the shift to work from home, how does it affect employer branding? Well, in general, you know, employer branding, at least as I define or as I understand it, is really about um, creating a reputation or perception about what it's like to work at your company. And usually employers use it when they're trying to recruit and attract employees to your organization. And oftentimes what I find when employers do that is that they don't talk about the day-to-day -day experience of working. Oftentimes companies, when they are trying to know employees, they'll talk about like their corporate social response programs or how environmentally friendly their practices are or you know whatever, they'll, they'll talk about these you know very good things that the organization is doing, but they're not talking about the day-to-day -day interactions that employees have. And that's really, I think, a mistake because you're, the employees you're trying to attract to your organization want to know what is it going to be really like? What am I going to be expecting? Are my managers going to be upholding the values that the company says are so important? And so your employer branding needs to be focused on those things. And just because your employees are working from home doesn't mean that that becomes less important. I think you need to involve your existing employees more into that and say, what is the everyday experience now? What is it like to work from, you know, what motivates you? Why are you still company? And then relay all that information is part of your employer brand to potentially new employees. That way your new employees get a really, or your perspective, a real sense for what it's like to work there. And they already then feel some sort of connection to the existing employees at your organization. I like it that you are very, very succinct, Denise. To the point. <laughs> Sophia? Yes. Yes, let's go. Dear friends and fans, thank you for being with us. Denise has told us, and you can read more about it in her book, Fusion, that 
first and foremost, we need to get it right with our internal customers before we get it right with our external customers. Because if we get it right with our internal customers, our external customers will be delighted and their experience will be fantastic. She talked about Johanna, which is the family spirit. It all starts within, as it starts with the holistic individuals, it also starts within a company. If we do all this right, then we will get the employer branding right, we'll get the experience right, and then you can get Denise's book and follow up and learn more about this fusion, how company culture comes together with customer experience. Denise, you have been great. I thank you very much for giving us your time and energy and wisdom. And uh, I thank you very much myself for coming on to the show. It's an honor. Thank you. It's been great to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. So, Sophia, how can... I yeah, so all of those who already commented on YouTube and subscribed on YouTube today, you are definitely in the list of our get getaway. And we will also take in mind everyone who comments on this video until Wednesday, as usual. The giveaway is Denise's uh, last book called Fusion, which is amazing. I highly recommend it. And uh, yes, the lucky winner will get the book Exactly. So, dear friends and fans, please uh, join us on Wednesday evening at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern European time, where we have a webinar with the European University Cyprus. It's titled Different is Better Than Better. Denise, you're more than welcome to join us, even though it's very early in, in your <laughs> part of the world. So, thank you very much for joining, and it's a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thank you.